Tonight, exploring hate amid the onslaught of anti-trans legislation being introduced across the country, New York's trans community is proudly standing up for themselves. In honor of Transgender Day of Visibility, Cooper Union is hosting a major event with leading celebrity activist Peppermint to take a stand against hate. Metro Focus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poita Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, Charlotte and David Ackert, Patty Asquith Kenner, Tiger Baron Foundation, Nancy and Morris W. Offit, Josh Weston, Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. Since the beginning of 2023, nearly 350 anti-LGBTQIA bills have been introduced in state legislatures across the country. 150 of these bills specifically target transgender people. Drag performances, including those aimed at educating children, have also come under attack recently, with some protests even turning violent. This was the case in a recent clash when Attorney General Tish James hosted a drag story hour event in which protesters and counter-protesters clashed, leading to at least one arrest and one injury. Despite the uptick in anti-trans activity, there are many New Yorkers who stand in solidarity with the trans community and are making their support known. On March 31st, International Transgender Day of Visibility, a special concert is taking place at the Cooper Union called Shine On. The show will be both a celebration honoring transgender and non-binary people and a call to action to fight against hate. So joining me now are two people who will be performing at this very important concert, Peppermint and Jolie. I would like to welcome you both to the show. Welcome Peppermint and welcome Jolie. Thank you for having me. So great to be here. Absolutely. So first off, uh, Peppermint, I want to start with you and just get your take on the importance of something like the Transgender Day of Visibility. Why is something like that critical to acknowledge and celebrate every year? Well, a Trans Day of Visibility, like any other you know, type of holiday or commemorative day is an opportunity not only for people within the community to celebrate each other and ourselves, celebrate opportunities to be uplifted, stories of joy, and then also stories of awareness. It also allows people that are not in the community to learn more about those in the community and perhaps engage with us in a way that perhaps they hadn't thought of before. Of course. And to Joe, I want to turn to you. Um, you are not just uh, a um, non-binary individual, but you're also a member of the Gay Men's 
chorus. And for you, I wanted to ask, because I know you use they, them pronouns, and that's something that we've seen get a lot of attention and unfortunately pushback and mocking from people who might not understand. Can you sort of spell out why something as simple as a pronoun is so critical to the way someone is able to identify themselves? Um, the way that I've, I've put it to folks as I've had these conversations with them is that um, acknowledging someone's pronouns are, is acknowledging their humanity and it is acknowledging how they express their humanity. And sometimes that means that we exist outside of the norms that we've been raised and, and uh, um, learned to, to think about our own identities. And for, for folks like myself who kind of exist in between or outside of, of those norms, it having the language of they and them as pronouns helps me express to other people um, who I am and, and who I want to be. Of course. And I think it's very interesting that even in your description, um, you're still using the word norms. And I'm wondering if the concept of what society has deemed quote unquote normal is part of what's causing so much either confusion or resistance in your opinion. Um, I I do. I think that when you are accustomed to thinking a particular way and you are confronted with something that is different or challenges the way that you want to shape your life or the way that you've learned to shape your life, that's difficult to deal with. And sometimes um, some people respond to that as an attack. And uh, my my identity isn't an attack on anyone. My identity is my identity. It's how I'm existing. And um, if that causes someone to feel discomfort, that has less to do with me and more to do with them. What is your response to uh, people, perhaps most likely, I would say, cisgendered people um, who want to be uh, allies, who want to show support, but are... Um, hesitant or in some cases even frightened of saying the wrong thing or not asking about pronouns or something along those lines? Well, I I, I deal with this on on a week-to-week basis just because I'm in New York City Gay Men's Chorus. And so I'm surrounded by cisgendered men all the time who just happen to be, who identify as gay or queer. So there's in, in having conversations with people, I encourage folks and I let people know that there's a certain amount of of grace that I give to people because some of this is very new and it's it can be um, challenging to learn those things. But I also tell people it's always better to ask than to find yourself in a situation where you might misgender someone or you might say the wrong thing and and feel like the villain in the situation. And it's not that, you know, if you use the wrong pronouns for someone that it makes you a bad person. Um, It means that you use the wrong pronouns, but there is opportunity for you to self-correct and hold yourself accountable. And you can do that in a way that is um, responsible, in a way that is encouraging. And when you hold yourself accountable to, to the people that you're interacting with, 
it does like I me personally like when I have had chorus members come up to me and they're like oh my goodness I used the word guys when I was referring to to seeing a bunch of you together and just you know sending me a message or pulling me aside at, at another rehearsal be like I wanted to apologize to you and, and hold myself accountable to that like that does a lot for me because it says to me that you're not just thinking about yourself you're thinking about how your words and your actions have an impact on other people so as an ally no matter where on the spectrum you find yourself um responsibility and accountability are always going to be a good look um for for when you're interacting with folks that you might have harmed intentionally or not Peppermint, I wanted to uh, ask you about um, the controversy surrounding Drag Queen Story Hour. I had a chance to cover Drag Queen Story Hour um, as a reporter, and it seemed just like a library story hour. But if you could sort of lay out for us, um, I don't know if you've actually done a story hour yourself, but just knowing what a Drag Queen Story Hour is, and more importantly, what it isn't for little kids. Well, I mean, I do think it's, <laughs> I don't usually do a lot of drag queen story hours. I'm not usually that awake that early, um, <laughs> but I have done one or two in my life. Uh, and, you know, drag queen story hours are just like any other Cinderella story hour or a clown story hour. What I don't know what other kinds exist. This is uh, someone who, who goes in costume, uh, in this case in drag, and reads a book that we've probably all read before to a bunch of kids. That's it. And kids like having stories read to them. Uh, obviously, that's like an age-old tradition. And so drag entertainers doing that is the same exact thing as any other person that you would get to come and read stories to kids. They usually take place in a library, uh, a pretty, you know, innocuous place. Drag queen story hours generally don't take place. It's not like they take place in some kind of dungeon somewhere. They're just like the library with the kids. They're, you know, the parents are there with them. Obviously, the kids did not like drive themselves to the story hour. And so these are these are events that are put together that parents uh, decide to bring their children to, which is their right to do. And it's done in partnership and conjunction with the library or someone who puts together reading materials that are, you know, sort of pre-approved and, you know, completely innocuous. Drag Queen Story Hours are not, uh, you know, unfortunately, people who are making these bills and policies and attacks on Drag Queen Story Hours are framing Drag Queen Story Hours and drag entertainers and then by way of to the drag entertainers, all LGBT people, as what they're calling groomers, which is frankly another word for pedophile. And, you know, that's certainly not what's going on at a Drag Queen Story Hour. And so, you know, it's just, a, just I believe the, the attacks on drag as egregious as they are, are a distraction, unfortunately, because a lot of people do conflate drag and trans people without understanding that there can be a distinction, that there is a distinction. And basically drag is a job or an art form or career. Drag is something that people do. And while it can connect, and while many people who, who do drag are a part of the, do identify within the LGBTQ spectrum, being trans is a part of your identity, who you are and who you were born as. And so those two things, while they can be related and you can have, you know, just like you can have a farmer who's straight, but that doesn't mean that all farmers are, you know? And so you, 
it is, it can be confusing for some people, but, you know, drag queen story hours are harmless. Drag entertainers are, are, are people in the, in who have been the bastions of entertainment and oftentimes, um, political uprising within the queer community. And I think that is a threat to, to some people, but it's also drag queens and drag entertainers are an easy target because it's not a political group that people think of. And so suddenly we have to divert our resources, our attorneys, the money that we raise in our communities to, a, to guarding a drag story hour, when really what we should be focusing on is in addition, is LGBT youth and the anti-trans uh, anti policies that are sweeping across this country, removing access to healthcare for what they said was children, but now are trans adults that are not children. And so these things, I believe, are a, a really a really difficult thing for us to deal with. And they are, they are serving as a distraction um, to the larger story that they are currently dismantling uh, lots of access to uh, to healthcare and bodily autonomy and a lot of other things for not only queer people but people of color and women and they've been doing it all year and so now and and the biggest distraction is away from the gun debate suddenly we're not talking about that even though there's basically a, a mass shooting in our country every week and we're not talking about that those are the things that are dangerous to children I also do want to bring up um, that the celebration the um... Trans Day of Visibility and, of course, the Shine On concert, which we'll get into more a little bit later, is also about activism. And we've seen, as I mentioned in the intro, so many uh, state legislatures who are uh, debating, um, perhaps not including people from the uh, LGBTQIA plus community or the trans community specifically, but are passing legislation that directly targets you. And so again, to both of you, but Joe, I'll start since I just asked you, um, what is your take on this, what seems like a legal level of hostility coming from governments, at least at state levels across the country? Um, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, it's a lot. I. Um, it's It's hard for me to just like exist in digital spaces because it seems that all I'm hearing about is the next state passing anti-trans and anti-non-binary bills. And the the thing that that hurts me is the message that that is sending to our nation's young people and the way that it endangers those young people because queer youth and trans youth are already at more risk for self-harm as it is. So when the news or, or the media is, is showing us who America wants to be in this moment, it can add to the hurt and the shame that those young people feel. And my heart goes out to them because um, I, I have the luxury of having grown up in a city like New York where I can see people who are like me all the time. But for young people who exist in small towns who feel like they don't have a support system, I can't imagine what they're going through. And um, all of this, this the language and the, and the vitriol that we see people coming at us with, it's like, mm -hmm. none of this is based on fact. 
all of this is based on your resistance to um, people stepping into their truth, people seeking their own joy, people seeking their own happiness. And again, you perceiving that as a threat, you perceiving that as an attack, when the truth of the matter is all we want to do is exist in peace and exist in joy and to share that with other people. And what you're doing is, is um, is diminishing that, is diminishing our humanity yeah. and, and boiling us down to um, nothing more than, than um, villains in the story in your story because it is convenient pepperman your thoughts on the legislation that's being passed i mean as joe brought up the impact on uh particularly trans youth um even things about like you know bathroom usage etc i mean it can just seem so overwhelming it is overwhelming. And I mean, I do want to echo my sentiments uh, to the trans youth who may be listening, LGBT youth who may be listening, that this does send a message that we are unworthy, undesirable, unlovable, and that is damaging. It would be to any human. And I do want to, I think a lot of people have heard the statistics that trans youth and LGBTQ youth are at higher risk for self-harm and depression. Um, but, you know, that's an effect of a cause of discrimination. Uh, you know, when we are several times more likely to experience violence at the hands of either family members or, uh, you know, uh, strangers, uh, we are more likely to be targeted in some, in many of these ways than, you know, we're just being teased at school, you know, uh, the whole anti-bullying sort of movement that happened over the past several years was primarily focused on LGBTQ youth. And so that is why the rates of self-harm are as high as they are in LGBTQ individuals. We, we experience, LGBTQ people in general experience a higher rate, not only of self-harm, but also homelessness or lack of being able to find shelter, joblessness, and, and access to essential services and things that people, anyone needs to function and you know, thrive in a healthy way in society. And so naturally, when someone else is cutting those things off for you, then you may be at greater risk for self-harm. Um, but I also want to say that I don't think that this is because they really are afraid. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this, these, these, these attacks, as egregious as they are, um, and as damaging as they are, and as much as we are going to fight them, they are also basically the same playbook that they used when they were at solely attacking gays, whether it's gays in the military, marriage equality, they were using the same playbook for for, de for decades. And before that, they used the same playbook during civil rights, dehumanize these people and then limit their access to water fountains, to places to eat, to like limit their access on the bus, limit their access in the schools, limit their access to healthcare. And so this is the same exact pattern that has happened over and over and over again. The, the targets of the group have changed and sort of the, the, the flavor has changed but the perpetrator is exactly the same. And so they've been doing this long enough to know that they, they're not really afraid of who we are because some of them are who are us. But what they really want is to, I believe, 
disenfranchise all these different minority groups, uh, whether they're people of color, whether they're LGBTQ people or LGBTQ people of color, uh, women and uh, all, all these different minority groups so that they can disenfranchise us and then we will be disconnected from our own bodily autonomy, access to healthcare, uh, access to, to housing and job security and, and all of these forms of equity that that are essential to thriving and being able to, you know, you're not going to be worried about voting if you don't have a place to live. And and so that is a part of their big plan. I do believe that this is a part of the plan to disenfranchise folks from from having political power so that those who happen to be in power and we know who they are remain in power and then they can change the laws and regulations to best serve the corporations that they are a slave to. Keeping in mind further of uh, the show Shine On, both of you are going to be performing in that. And I think for a lot of the public, um, if they don't really know any uh, trans or non-binary people in their life personally, they only know trans or non-binary people through performances, through seeing them as performers, et cetera. So first I wanna ask both of you how you came to performing as a way to express yourself and secondly, I mean, I would assume that performing while it comes natural to some isn't indicative of the entire community. And so Peppermint, I'll start with you. I mean, how did you come to being a performer? You know, I don't know whether it was, you know, something about who I am and how I would eventually come to identify that may have drawn me to to the arts. Certainly, it can't be just a coincidence that there are so many queer people um, completely interwoven through the entire industry of entertainment, whether it's film, television, theater, music, uh, you know, beauty, makeup, all those things. Queer people have always been the tastemakers. I mean, if I say so myself. <laughs> um, and so like that, I don't know if it's a coincidence, um, but I have always been, you know, it, certainly the knack for, for performance and expression, self-expression has always, it felt like second nature to me. And it's been, been something I've done since being a little kid. And there's a lot of performers who I think share that same sort of history and experience and connection to the, to the world of entertainment. And, you know, certainly if it wasn't the cause, my, my need and desire to be involved in entertainment was compounded by the fact that I'm queer. And I wasn't really able to express myself necessarily the way that I wanted to just sitting at the dinner table or at school and just like sort of everyday situations. And so I would have to like make believe and then create these situations. And I think that's what has sort of um, been the glue to my, my attachment to the entertainment industry. Joe, same question for you. How did you come to entertainment? Well, I think a lot of my experience is, is parallel to, to peppermints and like, um, music has always been attached to like i i grew up in a very famous church uh here in new york but like i'm not going to say which because that could be an episode in and of itself but <laughs> um I, I grew up i grew up singing um when i was at like in, in elementary school when i had like you know theater and, and music class i was very lucky to go to a school with it with with that program um, my teacher, Mrs. McFarland, singled me out all the time and gave me opportunities to like to shine a little bit more. And um, that carried me through. And like when I was a teenager and like dealing with 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 my queerness and not being comfortable with it, I found my solace in in music and in performing. And um, my my 
um, over the past, like when my coming out process is actually also very much attached to my experience as a performer because about a year after I came out, I joined Youth Pride Chorus, which is um, um, which was founded by New York City Gay Men's Chorus. I don't think a lot of people know that. And then I joined the chorus, and through the chorus, I had the opportunities to develop as as a music producer. I had opportunities to develop as a performer. Um, I've I've been privileged to be a soloist several times, and each of those times, I've been able to step further into who I am. And then I also sing with our acapella group, uh, Tonewall. And in Tonewall is where mm. I started having conversations about my gender and my gender expression. And someone said, yeah, so they they worked with young people at the time and were talking about how their young people are using they and them as pronouns. And I felt like alarm bells going off in my head. And I was like, that's that's the missing piece that that I didn't have before. And so through that, and since then, I've been able to, with the opportunities that I've been given to perform and to, with solos, I've been given room and freedom to express that a little bit more and take ownership of that a little bit more and have those conversations inside of the course, but also with our audiences too. All right. Well, we literally have just a few seconds left, but Peppermint, can you tell us in about like 10 seconds or so, just about the Shine On uh, performance that'll be taking place at Cooper Union? Yes, I'm so excited. It's going to be taking place at Cooper Union Great Hall downtown in Manhattan. Everyone is invited. You can get tickets online, of course. Uh, myself, Joe, uh, Murray Hill are going to be performing along with the Gay Men's Chorus of New York. And it's a wonderful program that we put together. I'm so excited. It's my second time performing with them. And, you know, I'm, I was so, I was just so overjoyed when they called and asked, not only would I perform, because it's such an honor to perform with them, but also that they were doing something intentional on Transgender Day of Visibility. And so this is a wonderful opportunity for people to engage, as we mentioned, I think the first question you asked was, how can people engage with Transgender Day of Visibility? This is obviously a great way to do it. There are lots of other things happening, uh, more political leaning activations and marches and, and demonstrations. Mm -hmm. And then also just opportunities for people to be involved in some of the joy that queer people and trans people have to give. And so I urge everyone to come to the show. And if you're walking, you can't miss it because if you're walking past Cooper <laughs> Union, um, you can see like basically wrapped around the building is a huge advertisement just celebrating uh, Transgender Day of Visibility, the community, the Gay Men's Chorus, and of course our Shine On event. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.